Vigor Steve here. Welcome to the 2024 version of the World Anti-Doping Entity approved half natty performance enhancing drug stack, where we're not only going to discuss PEDs, but also over-the-counter supplements and particular practices, which are still considered to be WADA compliant as of 2024. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't expect to beat the drug test if you follow the entirety of this video and use some of the compounds which we're going to discuss. WADA is a little bit finicky. If they want to make you fail, they'll make you fail on something that's even not specifically mentioned. This happens left and right, unfortunately. So on paper, you could call yourself a half natty, a drug-free athlete, if you do some of the things which we'll discuss in this video. Oh, and before you ask about all of these abrasions, the black and blue on my chest and shoulders, that's deep tissue massage therapy, grassland technique. I'm 40 years old. I need to make sure that all the adhesions and scar tissue in my chest and shoulders are taken care of on a week-to-week -week basis so I can lift nice and heavy. Sorry if you're losing your appetite. And before we get into it, please like the video, leave a comment for the algorithm, and consider subscribing if you haven't already. And if you want to support the channel, you can do so by joining either the YouTube or Patreon memberships, where you can vote for upcoming deep dives, or join the weekly Vigorous Q&A, which is always on Saturday, where you can ask a lot of questions, whether that's about PEDs, over-the-counter supplements, or anything else, right? Basically, anything goes private for an entire hour before it goes public, and it turns into a super chat, super flood. Okay. Let's have a look at the 2024 editions compared to 2023. In 2023, I didn't make a WADA-approved half-natty drug stack because I felt that the changes from 2022 to 2023 were not that substantial. So I didn't make a video about the previous release of the prohibited list. But now in 2024, we have a lot to discuss. So let's get started with the 2024 major modifications and explanatory notes. Here you see that under the non-approved substances, S0, 2,4-denitrophenol, DNP, has been added. Under S1 anabolic agents is now listed tristolone, mint, which is probably the last anabolic energetic steroid that they didn't specifically mention under the anabolic agents. And I looked far and wide for anything else that could fall under the anabolic agent. Don't worry, we'll get to that. But the traditionally used anabolic energetic steroids completely banned unfortunately and you see here under s2 the peptide hormones growth factors related substances and mimetics that they reworked the heading under testosterone stimulating peptides in males to clarify that busarelin des laurelin gesserelin hysterelin luprorelin nafarelin and triptorelin were added as examples of gonadotropin releasing hormone they added kispeptin to the list now, in my personal opinion, um, those don't really work as substantially as a luteinizing hormone, follicle-stimulating hormone, or human chorionic gonadotropin do. Still, it's something that you could look into in the past, but it's no longer approved. And here they mentioned tetracosactide as an example of natural adrenocorticotropic hormone. Apparently, tetracosactide, even though it's only a partial sequence, amino acid 1 to 24 of adrenocorticotropic hormone, Apparently, it possesses the same biological activity. Now, that being said, Samax is also a partial sequence of adrenocorticotropic hormone. I believe that's amino acid segments 4 to 10, which falls within the 1 to 24 range that this tetracosactide apparently contains. Now, I'm not entirely sure if, if you take Samax, right, for nootropic benefits, if you're going to fail for tetracosactide. That remains to be seen. We'll have to see in 2024. It's something I would wanted to specifically mention here. Even though Samax is a smaller sequence of adrenocorticotropic hormone, 
it still falls within the sequence of tetracosoctite. Uh, Capra Morella and Ibutamorin MK677 have now been specifically added as examples of growth hormone secretagogues. There's still one left that you can look into, but we'll get to that. Don't worry. And they added in the international name for recombinant human IGF-1, Mekarsermin, also known as the brand name Increlex, is now also added. Which is too bad, because currently I'm as close to half natty approved as I've ever been, excluding the Increlex growth hormone and recombinant HCG. But everything else that I'm doing, half natty approved for sure. I would still fill the doping test, obviously. All right, under S4 hormone and metabolic modulators, they included uh, another RIF ERB agonist, uh, SR9011, and they relocated SR9009. And under diuretics and masking agents, they made a couple clarifications on compounds that I've never seen or used. Moving over to the manipulation of blood and blood components, donation by athletes of plasma or plasma components by plasma plasmapheresis is no longer prohibited when performed at a registered collection center. Thank God. Thank God. Without going into details, thank God all the athletes are now safe. And they made a couple of modifications under S6 stimulants with drugs I've never heard about. S7 narcotics. Tramadol was included. Now, I don't think anybody in the fitness industry uses tramadol for performance-enhancing drug purposes. Maybe if you do a full-body tattoo or very painful deep tissue massage therapy to get all of the scar tissue out of your butt cheeks, out of the way. Uh, Tramadol is not really bodybuilding approved though. So it is included, take a mental note of it. And under S9 uh, glucocorticoids, they made some modifications. And then let's move over to the monitoring program, which they now have uh, still the anabolic agent, ectisterone. They're monitoring the use in and out of competition. Now, if you use ectisterone, it doesn't mean that you're going to fill the drug test. It simply means that they're testing for it because they want to see the prevalence of the use of ectisterone. So it's still technically approved, even though it's on a monitoring program. And maybe at one point, if it's used commonly enough, and they feel that ectisterone or maybe even tergesterone for that matter, even though it's not included, is going to provide additional benefits in regard to winning competitions, then they're probably going to add it to the prohibited list of 2025, 2026, or whenever they make up their freaking mind. Because it's been on the monitoring program for a couple of years now. All right, the peptide hormones, gonadotropin-releasing hormone analogs in females under 18 years old. They're just monitoring this. Apparently, it's still allowed, even though they don't specifically mention that in a prohibited list of 2024 under exclusions. Hypoxin is now on the monitoring program, still approved but they're starting to test for it as of uh, you know, pressure from the United States and some other countries uh, over the last couple of years. Stimulants, basically the same list as it always has been. Caffeine, nicotine, vanillaphrine, cinephrine, a couple other ones are still being monitored. Even though caffeine at one point was prohibited, they've um, you know, taken that off the prohibited list. Because, well, I mean, what is life without a good cup of coffee, right? Narcotics, a couple ones that are not interesting for us. And then also semaglutide. They're not checking for liraglutide, dulaglutide, terzepidide, or the upcoming retrotutide, which still needs to be FDA approved. It's not available as a medication just quite yet. So there's still plenty of alternatives you can choose from if you want to suppress your appetite and potentially act as an insulin mimetic or insulin secretagogue. But don't worry, we'll get to that a little bit later. Moving over to the actual 2024 prohibited list by WADA. 
Specifically, I want to mention in the beginning under S0 non-approved substances prohibited at all times in and out of competition. Any pharmacological substance which is not addressed by any of the subsequent sections of the list and with no current approval by any governmental regulatory health authority for human therapeutic use. So that means it needs to be FDA approved in some part of the world. So this excludes drugs under preclinical or clinical development or being discontinued, designer drugs, substances approved only for veterinary use, all of those are prohibited at all times. Now, many of the drugs that we're going to mention in this video are not FDA approved or maybe FDA approved on uh, particular parts of the planet, which might not be recognized by a USADA, for example, which is the United States Anti-Drug Agency, which uses a World Anti-Doping Agency compliance prohibited lists. So this includes uh, drugs like uh, body protection compound segment 157, which is uh, endogenously produced in the intestinal tract, but you can inject that or um, take it as an oral formula for intestinal health. 2,4-denitrophenol, DNP, and troponin activators with unpronounceable names. So basically, long story short, if you want to use particular compound XYZ, it needs to be currently approved for medical use or therapeutic use for humans in one part of the world at least, all right? So this excludes many of the compounds that we're going to discuss in this video because many of them are not FDA approved, still being undergoing clinical trials or have been discontinued already, but they're not specifically mentioned and otherwise this video will be like, what, five minutes and I can't even put ads on that. So we're going to proceed ahead. Don't expect to beat the drug test, but technically on paper, you'd still be half natty approved, right? Keep this in mind. Now, before we get started, I'm pretty sure I forgot something here or there. So if you know compound XYZ, that's why I approved, please let us know down below in the comment section. Can be at the beginning of the video, in the middle of the video, at the end of the video, it doesn't really matter. Feel free to compound multiple times. It all helps the algorithm and push this video to a new audience. So everybody can be half natty approved in 2024, right? Um, I try to be as inclusive as possible. I think I listed all of the commonly used or even the niche used performance enhancing drugs, over-the-counter supplements, or particular practices which are known to improve performance and endurance overall. But again, if I miss something, let us know, and I'll gladly make a part two, even though I don't think that's required. Uh, but you never know, right? The more, the merrier. All right, let's get started with S1, the anabolic agents. Right, they finally added Trestolone Mint to this list. And unfortunately, uh, with all of the research that I've done, I don't think there's another anabolic androgenic steroid that they haven't specifically mentioned, so we can't use anything else. But many of the selective androgen receptor modulators are not listed. They do list here under S1.2, under anabolic agents, they list uh, Andarine, S4, Osterine, LGD, 4033, Ligandrol, RAD40, S23 and YK11, and S23, YK11 have been added as of recently. But <laughs> there's so many other SARMs, bro. And even though I don't really like SARMs, we're still going to mention them for completeness. They're on the screen right here. Uh, I think the only one that's really used is AC262. Um, and everything else, I've never really heard anybody else talk about. There's many orals with uh, unpronounceable names. I don't even know what the recommended dosages would be. So please do your own research if you want to use any of these SARMs. Uh, whether that's the oral versions or the transdermal, the LY305. Apparently that's available also uh, to potentiate some sort of anabolic effect. I don't know the dosages, 
please do your due diligence. They're not specifically mentioned to technically half natty approved. And another half natty approved are the pro-hormones, the injectable bolandiol and the oral cholesterol. Yes, it's a precursor for all of the sex hormones and neurosteroids that you produce in your body. Pregnenolone, progesterone, all of these are pro-hormones and not specifically mentioned on the prohibited list. But don't get too excited. Keep in mind that as the name implies, pro-hormones means precursors to metabolically active hormones, which you might be raising to super physiological amounts. And we don't know the exact metabolic pathways uh, resulting in particular metabolites, which might still be prohibited. So these are not specifically mentioned, but they might metabolize into something else, which is or are specifically mentioned on the prohibited list. Uh, technically half natty, but probably not. You will probably still fail the doping test if you go with any of these besides cholesterol, pregnant loan, or progesterone. We'll get to that a little bit later. So what else can we use that falls under the anabolic agents but are not specifically mentioned? We can use the estrogen beta receptor modulators, tocasterone and ectisterone. Even though ectisterone is included in the monitoring program of 2024, um, technically, you're still a half natty. You can either go with tocasterone 150 milligrams in the morning and evening, 300 milligrams per day, before you ask about the, you know, the complex version that uh, Gorilla Mind has. Those are 10% extracts, right? So if you take a 500 milligram capsule, it's only 50 milligrams tocasterone or ectisterone. We're going with the active pharmaceutical, well, the active ingredient. Let's just mention it there. So if you want to get 300 milligrams of tocasterone or ectisterone, you need to supplement with 3,000 milligrams of these complex versions. And feel free to combine either or. That is where most people get the best benefits out of it. So let's say 150 milligrams tocasterone over the day and 150 milligrams ectisterone over the day. Then what I also consider to be anabolic is optimizing collagen synthesis. You can do this with over-the-counter supplements containing vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, B vitamins, copper, zinc, glycine and proline, or going with full-blown collagen supplements, collagen type 1, 2, 3, and perhaps 4. Silica contributes to collagen synthesis. And then the first real injectable peptide you can look into is GHK, GHK copper, or palmitate GHK, which permeates topically. Various dosages you're going to have to experiment. They're not included on the prohibited list. Technically, half natty approved. Um, GHK copper does potentiate some severe post-injection pain, but I've used it on my quads and on my triceps, and I still got some localized effect out of it, even though at the time I was also using some anabolic androgenic steroids, which are very good for collagen synthesis. Again, micronized progesterone, I would classify under the compounds which are approved that stimulate collagen synthesis, two milligrams to five milligrams sublingually once to two times weekly, because any more than that, progesterone will downregulate the hypothalamic pituitary testes axis, and we can't really use anything that would really have a tangible effect on um, increasing testosterone levels besides some over-the-counter supplements, which we're going to get into. And then for increased collagen synthesis, you can look into medical interventions like microneedling or fractional laser therapy. Moving over to the S2 peptide hormones, growth factors, related substances, and memetics under erythropoietins, EPO, basically anything that improves hematocrit and red blood cell count, already prohibited, but you can use over-the-counter supplements to get the same job done. So the half natty approved oxygen carrying capacity optimization stack is as followed. Vitamin B9, vitamin B12, vitamin C, iron, copper. You can use altitude masks or living at high altitudes, hyperbaric oxygen chambers. 
And then the only two drugs which are technically approved, ARA290, which is a non-hematopoietic peptide designed from the structure of erythropoietin, doesn't increase hematocrit or red blood cell count. It interacts with the innate repair receptors that mediate tissue protection. So this ARA290 is shown to be efficacious for a metabolic control and neuropathy. So if you have issues with your nerve endings, then ARA290 can help to a certain extent. Two milligrams to eight milligrams intramuscularly daily. I wanted to classify it here because it's based on erythropoietin, even though it doesn't really induce erythropoiesis. But if you want erythropoiesis, you can use a D-peptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitor to prevent the breakdown of erythropoietin. But we'll get to the DPP4Is a little bit later in this video. So basically, long story short, if you combine some of the micronutrients with living at altitude or hyperbaric oxygen chambers and potentially a D-peptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitor, you should be able to raise your hematocrit and red blood cell count for improved endurance to a certain extent. Moving over to S22 peptide hormones and their releasing factors. Let's start with the testosterone-stimulating peptides in males. Unfortunately, this includes human chorionic gonadotropin, luteinizing hormone, even though Fedosia agrestis is said to increase luteinizing hormone secretion, which is not included. So maybe you can bypass the administration of exogenous LH. And follicle-stimulating hormone is also not specifically mentioned, albeit that FSH doesn't really increase testosterone levels unless you combine it with something like HCG or LH, or potentially Fedosia aggressis. Gispeptin and its analogs are included. And like I mentioned before, all of the gonadotropin hormone-releasing hormone analogs are prohibited. But to be fair, GHRH analogs or Gispeptin don't really work. And I'm still waiting for people to post their freaking blood work on any of these analogs for supposedly increased LH and FSH secretion. But I've been waiting for two years now. I see plenty of comments in the comment section, like Gispeptin 10 works for me, Granarellin works for me. Show me the freaking blood work, dude. Show it, prove it with blood work. No, apparently they're prohibited, so it must work. But from my personal experience, I haven't really seen that to play out in real life. And I'm sure you're going to ask, what about inclomiphene or other selective estrogen receptor modulators? Those are classified under S4.2, the anti-estrogens in the serums. We'll get to that. Don't worry. So what can we do to boost our overall testosterone levels besides the anabolism for uh, ectosterone, tergesterone, and uh, improving collagen synthesis overall? Now, half 90 approved testosterone boosting over-the-counter supplement stack is as follows. KSM66, ashwagandha root extract, Tonkat Ali, Fedosia aggressis, boron, vitamin C, vitamin D3, which you can apparently directly apply to the testicles. If you do some Google researching, you see that there's a lot of anecdotal experience of men applying carciferol to their nuts directly and increasing their total testosterone levels, right? I'm not trying that myself. I'm pretty happy with my fertility and testosterone levels currently, um, but apparently there is some merit to do it, albeit anecdotal evidence. Vitamin E, magnesium, zinc, selenium, taurine, L-carnitine, either the oral version or injectable L-carnitine if desired. Then you can ice your testicles. I'm doing that myself. It works very well. And there's even a red light therapy, apparently, that helps to boost testosterone levels also. So, man, so many things you can look into to boost your testosterone levels with normal hypothalamic pituitary testes axis functioning. You're not shutting yourself down. You're just optimizing your testosterone production. Now, later on, when we get into growth hormone optimization, 
um, will have a lot of practices in place to optimize growth hormone secretion and testosterone production further, but I'm not going to um, you know, mention that twice. So stay tuned, we'll get to that. In order to prevent testosterone converting into estradiol, which is the most suppressive compound uh, produced endogenously on your hypothalamic pituitary testes axis, we can lower serum estrogen levels with dinomethane and calcium deglucurate. And you can look into nicotine or some of its metabolites, cotinine or anabasine. You don't have to start smoking to get the beneficial effects of nicotine regarding aromatized enzyme inhibition to raise your testosterone levels. Um, you can go with the patches or the nicotine gum, seven milligrams before activity, pre-cardio, pre-workout, uh, maybe multiple times per day to get its performance and endurance enhancing benefits, right? Keep in mind that nicotine is included in the 2024 monitoring program, specifically mentioned under S4 stimulants. And then the only medically approved aromatized inhibitor, which isn't specifically mentioned under the anti-estrogens and CIRMs, we'll get to that a little bit later, is Fondrazol, also known as a FEFMA produced by Novartis, which is a selective non-steroidal aromatized inhibitor, which has been used in Japan for the treatment of breast cancer. Apparently still available. I've never heard about it until I started doing some research. Uh, but if you want to call yourself a half natty and you're not getting the results from dinomethane calcium deglucrate, or you don't want to go the nicotine route because it's a little bit addictive, then look at the Vandrazol, right? 0.5 milligrams, two times weekly, up to two milligrams daily. Again, do your blood work so you know where your serum estradiol levels end up. Now, there's a whole laundry list of known aromatized inhibitors. I'll put them on the screen right now. Many of these are prohibited, right? but ascorbic acid, vitamin C, colconoids uh, found in licorice, or cumestrol found in uh, soybeans, Brussels sprouts, spinach, and legumes, elagitanins <laughs> found in pomegranates, black raspberry, raspberries, strawberries, walnuts, and uh, almonds, fatty acids, conjugated linoic acids, Linoleic acid, linolenic acid, palmitic acid, flavonoids, a whole laundry list, including apigenin, uh, crescin, uh, greetine extract, gossipetin, hesperidin, uh, naringenin, quercetin, melatonin, nicotine and its metabolites, quinolinoids, also known as berberine, uh, risocuric acid lactones, and uh, let's see, stilbenoids, resveratrol, terpenoids, retinol vitamin A, um, Delta 9 THC, even though that is included on the prohibited list, or tretinoin, valproic acid, sodium valproate, xantones found in mangosteen, and zinc can all inhibit aromatized enzyme activity. So there's a whole laundry list of natural compounds you can choose from to bring your testosterone levels up and your estradiol levels down. If you want to go with a little bit more aggressive compounds, many of the antifungal medications can also inhibit aromatized enzyme activity. Yeah, a lot of things to choose from. Now, keep in mind that the if you inhibit the aromatized enzymes, you can potentially cause um, hair loss because now more of this testosterone can convert into dihydrotestosterone. So let's proceed to the half natty approved 5-alpha reductase inhibitors, the over-the-counter supplements, salpometo extract, pygium, or rishi mushroom extract can all inhibit the conversion of testosterone into dihydrotestosterone and even medically used Five alpha reductase inhibitors, finasteride, dutasteride, or epristeride, can all inhibit this effect. Now, if you're going to go with an actual medically used five alpha reductase inhibitor, please do your blood work. Don't crush your DHT too low because now your erectile quality or your overall libido might be crushed to abysmal levels. And again, if you're an athlete, 
and you're going into the performance enhancing drug route, but still want to stay water compliant, make sure that you're fully functional in every organ, right? Don't exclude one organ for the sake of um, sprinting a little bit faster or becoming a little bit more muscular, or um, in this context, maybe even preventing hair loss, right? Please do your research. Post-finasteride syndrome, brutal, right? The recovery process is very lengthy sometimes. And again, there's a whole laundry list of 5-overductase inhibitors, including azelaic acid found in wheat, rye, and barley. There's food additive E499, beta Cytosterol, fatty acids, linolenic acid, linoleic acid, monolinolein and oleic acid, um, genoderic acid found in the rishi mushroom extracts, and then there's a sulpometo and a pygium, like I mentioned previously, including vitamin B6 and zinc, also can apparently inhibit faforeductase enzyme activity. So if you look into um, aromatase inhibitors and faforeductase inhibitors, over-the-counter or medicinal, then you should be able to raise your testosterone level and reduce the negative feedback that estrogen and potentially testosterone has on your hypothalamic pituitary testes axis. And if you don't overdo the oral micronized progesterone, two milligrams to five milligrams sublingually, let's say two times per week, then you should have maximum testosterone output and overall testicular function. All right, we've got the HPTA out of the way. Let's move over to S2.2.3 growth hormone and S2.2.4 growth hormone releasing factors. Unfortunately, all of the good stuff is already listed. I thought that somatorelin wasn't on the list, which is basically a recombinant growth hormone releasing hormone. But of course, they mentioned growth hormone releasing hormone directly right there at the top. So um, let's go over the half natty approved lifestyle interventions for maximum growth hormone output. High quality sleep, resistance training, stress management, amino acid supplementation, particularly arginine, plenty of scientific evidence that shows that arginine dosages between five to 10 grams before bed can induce or promote growth hormone secretion. And you can combine that with either ornithine or lysine and even glycine, glutamine, and leucine can help with growth hormone secretion if arginine levels are sufficiently high. Melatonin supplementation is known to increase growth hormone levels GABA supplementation as well, even creatine monohydrates, albeit that the scientific evidence is a little bit thin, I would say. Um, fasting, whether it's intermittent fasting, one meal per day, uh, fasting from food after 4 p.m. So you have adequate time for the food to digest or full fasting. Basically, all minimize somatostatin release, which is otherwise released when your stomach is full. And somatostatin blunts growth hormone secretion from the pituitary gland. Adequate protein intake, a micronutrient sufficiency low refined sugar intake, low glycemic index, and loads of foods for dinner, which it would still be better to fast after 4 or 6 p.m., uh, minimal alcohol consumption, healthy body weight levels, right? low uh, body mass index, proper hydration. And if all of that is too cumbersome, you just want to go the easy route, you just want to swallow something, I mean, swallow this video whole. You want to go the easy route, look into the D-peptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitors, which prevent the breakdown of growth hormone releasing hormone and thus growth hormone secretion from the pituitary gland should be at maximum capacity assuming that somatostatin levels are down and the ghrelin receptor is somewhat stimulated as well by going hungry so a dpp4i can be used to increase growth hormone levels so let's just move over to um, you know that entire list uh, under the s2.3 growth factors and growth factor modulators 
we see that now uh, insulin growth factor one uh, mecasermin is specified, like I mentioned previously. A lot of growth factors here, uh, which might not always be used by bodybuilders or people in the fitness industry, besides thymosin beta-4 or its derivative, TB500, right? the partial sequence of thymosin beta-4. Now here, they're specifically mentioned at the bottom and other growth factors or growth factor modulators affecting muscle, tendon, ligament, protein, synthesis, degradation, vascularization, energy utilization, regenerative capacity, or fiber type switching. Technically, if you look into it, right, preventing the breakdown with the DPP4 inhibitor um, falls under growth factor modulators because uh, D-peptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitors prevent the breakdown of uh, well, all of the growth factors listed here, including insulin and myostatin and growth hormone releasing hormone. So technically it's uh, somewhat listed, but not specifically mentioned. So let's just proceed with the half natty approved D-peptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitors. <laughs> there are so many to choose from. None of them are specifically mentioned, right? These are diabetic medications. Berberine is also on the list, most commonly used, uh, you know, part of how berberine works is by inhibiting these enzymes that would otherwise break down insulin. The most commonly used uh, appears to be citagliptin. That's the one I use personally to prevent the breakdown of Increlex, IGF-1. Just keep in mind that linagliptin or citagliptin are often combined with sodium glucose co-transporter type 2 inhibitors. So you want to make sure that you go with uh, just the DPP-4, not the SCL2 inhibitor combination. Again, D-peptidyl peptidase 4 inhibitors prevent the breakdown of growth factors, including myostatin neurotrophins like brain-derived neurotropic factor, nerve growth factor, as well as growth hormone releasing hormone, insulin, IGF-1, mechanical growth factor, erythropoietin. But when you look at the medical inserts, the commonly known side effects, any DPP-4i will not specifically mention that muscularity goes up or serum growth hormone levels go up, or IGF-1 levels go up, or uh, hematocrit and red blood cell count goes up, they will have a net outcome on your serum ins insulin levels, your hemoglobin A1c, and your fasting insulin levels. Um, so keep this in mind. It might not be the best approach, but on paper, technically, it should be able to contribute if you do everything right for erythropoiesis or maximum growth hormone output, for example. Moving over to S3, beta-2 adrenergic receptor agonists. Keep in mind that clenbuterol is specified under S1.2 other anabolic agents. Clenbuterol is basically an anabolic compound, albeit not to the extent that uh, anabolic androgenic steroids potentiate anabolism, maybe on par with tocasterone and ectosterone, but I've never really seen a head-on-head -head comparison between tocasterone and ectosterone compared to clenbuterol. Um, so let's just move over to the other beta-2 adrenergic receptors, which we have an exemption here under inhaled salbutamol, albuterol, not oral salbutamol or albuterol. Um, technically, you're not allowed to use that, but if you inhale salbutamol up to 1600 micrograms over 24 hour period, divided in dosages not exceeding 600 micrograms per serving every eight hours, uh, technically you're half natty approved. Now, I often get this question, can I take oral albuterol salbutamol and still pass the drug test? I'm not entirely sure. Technically, it's not allowed. And keep in mind that oral administration passes, you know, a whole different pathway of metabolism compared to inhaled administration. So keep this in mind, some of the metabolites of salbutamol, albuterol might be uh, in different ratios uh, compared oral to inhaled administration, and thus you might fail the doping test. 
Uh, so if you want to use some sort of, um, you know, better two adrenergic receptor agonists, uh, look into the detection time and go with good old CLEN. Moving over to S4 hormone and metabolic modulators. Here they specifically mention the aromatized inhibitors under S4.1. Now all of the good stuff is already included, but like I mentioned earlier, the Hafnadi approved aromatized inhibitors are Fedrozole, Finrozole, Lyrozole, and Vorozole. These are not specifically mentioned, but only Vodrozole is actually available. The rest has been discontinued. And then S4.2, the anti-estrogen substances, anti-estrogens, and selective estrogen receptor modulators. All of the good stuff is already listed with a little bit of a check mark. Um, and clomiphene or zuclomiphene are not specifically mentioned, even though they are part of clomiphene. So technically, you can use enclomiphene 25 milligrams before bed to improve luteinizing hormone and follicle stimulating hormone secretion from the pituitary gland, improve overall HPTA functioning, increasing testosterone, estrogen, and dihydrotestosterone levels. And if you use some sort of aromatized inhibitor or 5 alpha reductase inhibitor, estrogen levels stay suppressed, DHT levels stay suppressed, and testosterone levels go sky high, right? Technically, on paper, half natty approved. The real half natty approved selective estrogen receptor modulators are lesofoxifene, orzosifene, and phytoestrogens. The first two are actually selective estrogen receptor modulators, which have been approved for the prevention and treatment of osteoporosis in women, uh, albeit that they're not specifically mentioned on this uh, prohibited list. And the phytoestrogens that remain to be debated, again, Phytoestrogens might act as estrogens, might block the estrogen alpha and beta receptor, or promote the conversion of testosterone into estradiol. It's something worth looking into. I haven't looked into it. They're not included on the prohibited list. Maybe they can potentiate some blockade effect of the estrogen receptors, um, but I don't think that any of these are known to increase testosterone levels or uh, be beneficial regarding osteoporosis or gynecomastia management. Then, the actual metabolic modulators, S4.4. There's so many here that I want to highlight. Um, so let's just go over it. The half natty approved metabolic modulators, 5-amino-1-MQ, JBSF-000088, MOTS-C, Elamipertite, mitochondrial-targeted peptide SBT-20, mitochondrial-targeted antioxidant SKQ1, mitochondrial-targeted antioxidant metoquino, Bemetil, hypoxin, even though hypoxin is included in the 2024 monitoring program. Emoxapine, methylene blue, diisopropylamine dichloroacetate, data. Don't worry, we'll get to that in one of the endurance videos. Tromethamine, myinositol tripyrophosphate, glucophage, metformin, even though technically metformin could fall under S4.41 activators of the AMP activated protein kinase, or even S4.4.2 insulins and insulin mimetics. Then even impagliflozin, you could consider a metabolic modulator. I mean, there's so many more that I could add, but this video would be way too long. Um, and talking about insulin mimetics, the half approved insulin mimetic and glucagon-like peptide 1 receptor agonist stack, uh, which again could fall under uh, S4.4.2 insulin and insulin mimetics, Vanadyl sulfate, liraglutide, duloglutide, terzepidide, which is a combination of GLP-1 and GIP, retrotrutide, which is a combination of GLP-1, GIP, and glucagon. Keep your eyes on it. It's not on the market yet, but I combined terzepidide with injectable glucagon and the fat loss and the appetite suppression that I got out of it. Sweet AF. 
I think Retro True Tides will be a game changer, but again, not available yet. Start researching before it hits the market. And then semiglutide included in the 2024 monitoring program, um, but still all technically allowed to be used unless you consider them to fall under S4.4.2, insulin and insulin mimetics. Moving over to S5 diuretics and masking agents. Um, unfortunately, again, all of the good stuff is included, but there's plenty of half-nanny approved diuretic supplements out there, including high sodium intake and proper electrolyte management, caffeine included in the 2024 monitoring program, green tea, hibiscus tea, nettle leaf tea, alcohol, parsley, asparagus, celery, cranberries, and uh, uva ursi leaf extract, juniper berry extract, dandelion leaves and root extract, horsetail extract, hydragia root extract, bushy leaf extract, cough grass rhizome extract, corn silk stylus extract, and if you can't get it done with all of these over-the-counter supplements, look into Tomsolosin Flomax, which is a medication prescribed for benign prostate enlargement. When you have benign prostate enlargement, the prostate is so tight that um, urine can't really flow through. But if you want to have a diuretic effect, Flomax, Tomsolosin, is actually quite potent. And again, it's not specifically mentioned, so you can use it as the sole source of your diuretic if all these over-the-counter supplements don't get the job done, which they certainly can. Plenty of bodybuilders use these in drug-tested shows. I've recommended uh, various stacks of these over-the-counter supplements for drug-tested bodybuilders, and they got nasty shredded just the same. All right, onwards to the Essex stimulants. Again, all of the good stuff is already here. The non-specified stimulants include adrafenil, amphetamines, that's Adderall, Dexedrine, Vivance, in case you're wondering, Bromantane, Cocaine, and all of those Los Angeles-based uh, fake natty influencers suddenly realize that they're not really natural, <laughs> right? Ah. Anyway, modafinil, fentramine, and under the specified stimulants, you have ephedrine, epinephrine, and pseudoephedrine. The technically approved if the concentration in urine or the administration thereof is approved by WADA. So a little bit of an asterisk there. Heptaminol, selagiline, subutramine, and strychnine, all included on the prohibited list with an asterisk if it has to do with the ephedrine variants. So let's just proceed to the half 90 approved stimulant. I'm sure I forgot a couple of them. Link it down below in the comment section. Canna extract, N-phenethyl dimethylamine citrate, forskolin extract, paradoxine extract, caffeine, again, included in the monitoring program, green tea extract, dimethylethanolamine, theophylline, isopropyl norcinephrine and cinephrine, even though cinephrine is included in the monitoring program, revulsine, yohimbine, which can be combined with acmatine sulfate, even though revulsine and yohimbine are alpha-2 adrenergic receptor antagonists and acmatine sulfate is an agonist. The combination of both at low and effective dosages are very good to improve your overall contractile capacity and workout capacity um, if you train for hypertrophy or strength in general. And then there's dihexa and tesofensine. Uh, dihexa is a nootropic and tesofensine is a selective serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine reuptake inhibitor. But both dihexa and tesofensine with daily use uh, can be quite stimulatory. And then the last segment of the prohibited list, the P1 beta blockers. Now, nebivalol and propanolol, which I like to recommend for strength athletes or endurance sports, technically are included in competition only for the following sports. Um, archery, automobiles, billiards, darts, mini golf, regular golf, shooting, skiing or snowboarding, and underwater sports. 
So if you do resistance training, like fitness, bodybuilding, weightlifting, strongman, powerlifting, or rock climbing, for example, uh, technically, you're allowed to use these beta blockers, right? So nabivalol and propanol can be included on the list. But if you want to go with the half 90 approved blood pressure management stack, you have a boatload of over-the-counter supplements to choose from, beetroot extract, cardatone, L-citrulline, garlic extract, hawthorne berry extract, potassium, magnesium supplementation, even melatonin and taurine, all good for blood pressure management. Again, bivalent and propanol are technically allowed, and otherwise you have angiotensin-converting enzyme inhibitors or angiotensin-2 receptor blockers, calcium channel blockers, or PDE5 inhibitors. That's the sildenafil, tadalafil, and vardanafil. None of these are included on the prohibited list. So if you want to bring your heart rate down, technically beta blockers are allowed if you don't undergo the sports which are specifically mentioned. So if you do any kinds of resistance training, nabivalol, propanolol, nice and dandy. And otherwise, if you want to control your blood pressure, well, basically everything is approved, so don't worry about it. Now, what is not specifically mentioned, a couple other drugs which I want to highlight, dopamine receptor agonists, cabergoline, bromocryptine, primipexone, not specifically mentioned. You can use them if you are somehow able to raise your prolactin levels with the exclusion of progestogenic 19 nors or weed, which is technically prohibited under S8 cannabinoids, but Kratom is still approved. And Kratom is also known to increase your prolactin levels with chronic exposure. So uh, technically dopamine receptor agonists, you can use, even though I don't see a reason for it, you can use thyroid medications, thyroxine T4, levothyroid, or triodothyronine T3, cytomel, right? At uh, various doses, just don't go too high because you're not really allowed to use anabolic energetic steroids or compounds which are really potent enough to offset the potential catabolism if you go high on the T4 or T3. And there's Sobatyrome, SGS1, which activates the thyroid stimulating hormone receptors on the thyroid glands and thus can improve the secretion of T4, right? These things are not included. You should be able to use them. Still have 90 approved. Melanocortin receptor agonists like melanotan 2 or PT141 Vilesi, which can help blunt your appetite, improve your overall uh, body complexion, right? Tanning and might even improve your libido. And you know what's also not on the list? My favorite and Jesse James West's favorite injectable pre-workout, injectable ATP and AMP, preferably from Amino Asylum, right? Even though activators of the AMP activated protein kinase is specifically mentioned under S4.4 metabolic modulators that excludes directly injecting ATP or AMP, very potent for energy levels, very potent for vasodilation, increasing the pumps, not specifically mentioned, you're still good to go. And then we have half 90 approved nootropics for neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, CEMAX, even though technically the sequence of CEMAX of adrenocorticotropic hormone falls within the sequence of tetracosactides, right? sequence 1 to 24. Um, so keep this in mind, you might fail for something that is technically on the list, even though CEMAX is not specifically mentioned. Selank. Cerebralycin, fluvoxamine or vortioxetine, nupept, all uh, potentiate a decent amount of neurogenesis, dihexa potentially as well, right? But we mentioned that under the stimulants. I feel that dihexa is a better stimulant than a nootropic aids, but, um, you know, feel free to combine it and use it any way, shape or form. It's not on the list. You have the green light. I hope this gives you some food for thought. A launch your list of half natty approved drugs over-the-counter supplements or even recreational drugs for that matter, right? 
LSD mushrooms or kratom, not included on the prohibited list. You should be able to use them um, and call yourself a half ninety, but don't expect to beat the drug test because I'm sure WADA or USADA will find a way to cheat you out of first place if they found a trace amount of a metabolite that could potentially be coming from some sort of performance enhancing drug, which is included. Right? Then otherwise, look into the enhanced games where you can use whatever the f you want. Right? Thank God for Dr. Aaron De Souza. Okay. <laughs> Food for thought, guys. I hope it was educational and informational. Thank you guys so much for watching. You can find everything that I'm associated with down below in the YouTube description section. Follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Vigor Steve. Vigorous Crew, a super physiological half natty frontal bicep for the Vigorous Crew. Uh, Increlex growth hormone and recombinant human chorionic gonadotropin right here in the picture. Um, but I know the detection time, so don't worry if they come calling. I'll be drug-free nonetheless. Thank you guys so much for watching, and I'll see you in the next video.